getting into the hang of these, it did take a little bit to really, really be able to go from recording something to editing to putting it out, but I've managed to get a lot better at, uh, at doing those things. So the time between recording and getting them out is gonna hopefully decrease, which considering most of this stuff is football related and how quickly things are moving, um, that's definitely a good thing. Uh, this is a conversation with George, who uh, was in the media team at Kick It Out. So a lot of the conversation is geared around his time there and uh, his experience working in media, social media. George, so, so nice to chat to you. Thanks so much for your time. Look forward to doing it again soon. Your friend of mine, Josh Bednash, uh, has been suspended from Twitter. I don't know if you know this for no. posting uh, like mm. UEFA videos. It's probably like yeah. some Napoli defender with his body shape showing in or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, but someone could get suspended from Twitter for that whilst simultaneously there's all this online abuse still going on. To start this off, just maybe give us an indication like how you think we got to this point. Clearly it's a ridiculous situation that we're in where that that is possible that it, it's it seems quite easy i mean i know other people who've been in similar cases they've been shut down had their accounts shut down for consistent breaches of, of copyright um and it is ridiculous that you, it feels like you're more likely to get your account taken down that for that than for um sort of racist abuse or anything like that. you know anything discriminatory homophobic abuse anything like that you don't get your account removed straight away I mean, it doesn't seem like that but I mean, I think what, you know, the, the there are nuances around it in the sense that I think so, I mean, and it, it still doesn't mean it's any less ridiculous, but I think, for instance, with copyrighted material, I'm pretty sure that, you know, there's an active player there in that UEFA or whoever it might be, will be, you know, are making these claims um, and, you know, the, the reporting it via Twitter, I think, and the, the way the mechanism works is easier to identify a video an official video that is not someone's and say, right, well, they'll just, you know, automatically remove the account that's posting this video. Um, with, unfortunately, with a fair amount of the uh, discriminatory abuse, a word isn't always, um, I mean, it should be easy, but because of contextual situations, the, for, for it, let me give you, for instance, obviously, if someone, um, used a slur or so let's say if uh, a black person used the n-word or um you know there are lots of different communities who may you know who may have um, reclaimed words that were formerly slurs against them if they use that on a on a, on twitter accounts just can't be immediately removed because obviously they're not using it in an offensive way so i do think there is an element that it is easier for uh twitter to remove copyrighted material however and this is a very, you know, massive, however, it doesn't give them any excuse for why we're in the situation we're in now, which is where it's rampant, where no one really has any faith in the reporting tools, where week in, week out, um, you know, black players, uh, you know, uh, women, black women, you know, basically anyone with any kind of protected characteristic um, and particularly if they're in the limelight as, as footballers, you know, they miss a penalty, get a red card, they're getting abuse. Um, I mean, but it's also important to remember as well, all the people who aren't famous names and stuff, it's, you know, it, it's awful what happens to footballers. But I think sometimes the narrative discussion gets focused on, you know, the, the kind of the high profile, which is understandable, but actually, 
you know, people, you know, like you or me, you know, well, or people as in who may have protective characteristics, but are like you and me in the sense of the everyday people that haven't got massive platforms, people are getting huge amounts of abuse. And for far too long, um, Twitter has has done almost nothing about it. Why? <laughs> um, it's another another good question. And I think, I mean, you know, obviously when I worked at um, Kick It Out, we there was lots of um, there was lots of engagement with social media platforms. I mean, if you I joined Kick It Out at the beginning of 2016, just before the the organisation launched a campaign called Click It Out in 2016, uh, or just just before that, in fact, actually, and they did a load of research of discrimination online, discriminatory posts. It was thousands and thousands. You can look it all up if you if you have a look for it. I mean, I think even the first bit of research before this campaign that Kick It Out did on this subject was back in. Uh, between 2014 and 15, they did a seven-month um, kind of research in partnership with this tech company, analysing uh, social media abuse online, description posts, thousands and thousands over an eight-month period. And that was probably only the tip of the iceberg because it's hard to pick up every single bit of abuse, um, even when you're using an algorithm. Then the summer of 2016, over the Euros, the, the Round Click Out campaign, again, thousands of pieces of abuse going to these players. And so, you know, I mean, of course, this is getting so much attention now, but Kika Al and, other, and, and others have been speaking about it for years and years and trying to get social media companies to do something about it. What it comes down to, in my view, is the, the money, the, the, the finances. That it was, what social media companies, I don't think, want to admit is that the money that they would have to invest and that they should invest in making their platforms safe, whether that's paying more in you know security infrastructure the algorithm you know the algorithms picking up abuse in addition to that um you know in, investing money on physical human moderators that can pick up the kind of the gaps in in the in the system and in addition to that trying to promote healthy online internet cultures and sup- making choices uh, on on their platform that support that so that you know there's all those things that that, that are important to do but ultimately social media platforms and it's not just twitter because also you know facebook instagram you know these your social media platforms across the board they don't want to invest that money because it, it means it means even less you know less profit for them and then you look at company like twitter even though they're valued so massively they don't you know they struggle to make profits because there's not always you know particularly somewhere like twitter you know people don't really use um, t- you know, Twitter advertising, you know, it's it's, it's okay. Facebook advertising is actually much better to use. So Twitter doesn't make that much money. And I think there's a bit of a Pandora's box situation in that they think the minute they start to take responsibility, the minute they start to say, yes, you know, this is our platform that we're, you know, that people are, you know, getting away with all kinds of disgusting racial abuse. The minute they they start to take more responsibility, it becomes a vicious cycle where people say, "Well, actually, if if this is your responsibility, then what? You know, then why is all of this happening?" Um, and that's not to say that other, you know, there's all kinds of other um, players in this. You know, I think that the if the social media platforms aren't willing to regulate themselves, there's a very strong case that you know the government legislation and however that uh, however that may be needs to come into place. You know, there needs to be an element, I suppose, of um, you know, a relationship with the authorities uh, in terms, you know, the police, whatever, if, you know, there are incidents which, you know, are 
you know, essentially a hate crimes or, you know, or incitement to violence or, in, you know, there's all kinds of um, issues there that, so that the relationships between everyone needs to be better. But I think ultimately what it comes down to is the willing attitude or the lack thereof from social media platforms. Do Instagram in, in the same way? Similar situation? Yeah, yeah, I'd say, I mean, because they've all been, you know, they've all been engaging with this issue. Facebook, I mean, obviously Facebook and Instagram are, are you know, owned by the same same people. Now, you know, it, it's it's one and the same, but Twitter, Facebook, and social media platforms have been involved in this conversation for several years now, which is why I have, I think a lot of people have woken up to it, the wider public in the last year or two has become a much wider issue. But in a way, that's almost allowed the social media platforms i think there's been a bit of an attitude in the last year or two that seems to indicate it's like well you know there's a bit of a new thing we're, we're doing the best i can to sort it out now let's see what we can do it's not a new issue they've known about this for several years you know it, i mean it's baked into the kind of the way in which their platforms were created you know and this you know silicon valley ideas of free speech and and, and, and sort of nonsense like that without at all you know caring about the, the you know victims of discrimination but ultimately, they could have been far more robust and taken far more measures at this point to, to, to counteract it. And, and that's why I've got no real time for statements here and there now, which is saying, you know, we want to work together with people. We think this is important. You know, we're trying our best. It's like, well, you know, what concrete action, um, you know, what transparency as well are, are they putting out there in terms of how many pieces of abuse they're removing? When you report something that we've all done before and then got the got the response back that says um this didn't uh didn't breach our guidelines you know how many of those are going on a year they you know and 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 some of these stats are available twitter i know went from having worked with them there they they do have a some kind of uh biannual report around some of their you know but it's buried deep in their website they didn't do anything public on it it's it's quite it's 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 you know it's a data dump quite hard to consume and lots of journalists i'm not even sure are even aware it exists um yeah so i mean there just there really needs to be a lot more concrete plans of action be put in place by these social media companies um and if they're not willing to do that which it seems increasingly like that to me then there needs to be you know, threat of regulation from government, threat of fines, threat of sanctions, you know, it's something that will, you know, force them to, 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 to sort of step up and do something. We recently had social media boycott of, uh, I guess, a fairly busy, well, a fairly busy football weekend anyway. How, Very busy if, weekend, yeah. Yeah, how, how effective do you think that boycott was? I mean, it's tough because I think first and foremost, you know, I mean, I, I participated in the boycott um, you know, part of the reason that message you back for three days was participating in, in the boycott. And, you know, I think that there was an aspect of it where, you know, I chose to partake in it because I thought this is something that is happening across football and across football media. And there's an aspect of, you know, showing solidarity with people who made the decision. I think particularly with, you know, a lot of, um, you know, black footballers who, of receiving racist abuse on the platform week in, week out. And of course, you know, uh, victims of discrimination from all, you know, all kinds of different backgrounds. But I think particularly there had been this focus on black footballers getting racial abused week in, week out. So there's an element that, you know, enough is enough. We're, we're going to remove our kind of our voice from this platform. We're going to 
come away from it and show you how boring it will be without you know without us on there kind of thing uh, you know we, we're, we're what makes your platform interesting um that being said um and again this is no criticism of any one person so i took part in the boy boycott and there's you know and i can understand the, the desire to want to do it to, you know, to do something ultimately the problem with boycotts is you know it, it, i mean it was a four-day boycott and yes for four days no one's on there no one's on twitter but then, of course, everyone's back. Everyone's back after it. And it's kind of like it didn't, you know, it didn't. I think it, give it a month or two, people might even forget that, that we that the boycott took place. And you even look back, people probably may not even remember this. There was a boycott two years ago, I think, initiated by the PFA. And they had, um, it, which was called Enough is Enough. And there for, a, for a, I think it was just one day that time. Um. And yeah, so I mean, think you know, a, a significant amount of players posted enough and refused to refuse to post for the day. But you know, what is it next? Is it, is, is it now is it going to take a two-week boycott or a four-week boycott? And and I think then it starts to get to the point where it's like, well, why do you know lots of players, lots of people make make their living or make their you know build their relationships through this? So why should they have to to almost come off the platform? And particularly for players, why should they have to silence themselves? to stop being, you know, to, to prevent racial abuse coming their way or to prevent homophobic abuse or sexist abuse or, you know, any kind of discriminatory abuse coming their way. So I think for me, I can understand, you know, I think it, as a rallying cry to, to focus on the issue, I can understand it. But the problem is as well, since the boycott, when was it? It was like a, was it last weekend, was it? Yeah, last weekend. Last yeah. weekend. So it's 10 days ago now from when we're recording this podcast. And there hasn't really been much discussion since of, you know, right, well, so what do we do next? Well, what's what now? I mean, partially because there's just been so much going on in football, but there needs to be, you know, there needs to be next steps. And and I, I mean, you know, and I think some of those next steps, I think, again, has to, has to come from potentially some pressure from government. You know, I, what I would like to see is the football, you know, football as a whole come together, uh, whether it a kick it out the Premier League leading football clubs players and come up with some kind of manifesto or some kind of demands. This is what we expect from a platform that we're going to we're we're kind of you know giving our names to. Um, I personally don't like and don't agree with the idea of um, of forcing people to register a passport or an ID or make it non-anonymous. Um, I don't think that would be the right approach. Uh, I think there are lots of people who actually need anonymity on social media, um, you know, whether it's whistleblowers, whether it's people from marginalised backgrounds who don't feel comfortable, um, you know, or, you know, for instance, if you're in the LGBT community and for whatever reason, whether it's at home or in your work life, you're not out, you might have a, an anonymous account that allows you to express yourself. So I think it's very important, you know, and I, I wouldn't trust social media companies to hold all of that data in terms of everyone's you know, passport data is quite serious information. Um, but there, there, there are solutions. And I think a big one, again, ultimately will come down to money. Social media companies have to invest money um, in their moderation, in their algorithms, in all their bringing, you know, bringing down abuse from the platforms. It's not as simple as that, but a lot of it, I'm sure, will end up coming down to the money and whether, whether they're willing to spend it. I'm not going to pretend to be some kind of tech expert but 
ultimately, if they're willing to put the investment into developing algorithms and developing techniques that that can remove this, I, I you know, I, I'm I'm very very confident that they have that capability. Even by the fact that I know that they've improved in the last two three years, and they you know and they try to sort of brag about that when they defend that you know that their failures. They talk about oh no we're we're removing X amount a month, we're removing more, you know, so I know if they put more money into it, they can do that. I don't know whether it could be some kind of tax on social media companies, but almost like a, you know, a social tax that takes money from some, uh, from the social media companies and invests it into digital education and digital self-care. There's a woman called Shay Akawowo who's actually been on uh, BT Sport a fair bit in the last week. Um, as a response to the kind of social media boycott. And she runs something, uh, an organization called Glitch. And they do all kinds of um, fantastic work around uh, digital self-care and how to support, how you can support other people um, online who might have faced abuse and how you can kind of protect yourself if you're facing abuse and how you can respond and why abuse is such a harmful thing and how to be a good digital citizen and stuff like that, which actually, in a way, unfortunately, that's not gonna that won't solve a problem overnight, but that will that can really embed good practice for the next generation for the next 10 years. So stuff like that needs to be going on, education. But I think social media companies should be contributing and to that. You know, like I said, Glitch is a is a small charity punching well above its weight. So many kick it out, uh, you know, football versus homophobia, stoma, all these fantastic charities punching well above their weight you know tell mama cst to tackle discrimination online but have bear, you know have nowhere near the kind of resources that these multi-billion dollar social media companies have access to so i think it, the owners should really be on them to be investing in their own infrastructure to bring down um, discrimination but also investing in you know support for education and you know and, and how we can ensure that you know everyone's learning how to be a, a better digital citizen too. You've mentioned Kick It Out. What was your role there? And like, how did you get the job? How did you get involved? Kick It Out. Um, yeah, I mean, I was there, I was there for four years, just over four years. I was working the media team there. So back in God, January 2016, um, I yeah I applied for a job that I mean because I'd I'd wanted to be a journalist growing up I I, I like the idea of writing um, you know being a foot you know getting paid to write about football best thing ever kind of thing but um, I sort of as I got older I started to realise that I, writing wasn't the only thing I wanted to do that I you know like the idea of having a bit of a mix and match of um, of you know I I didn't think necessarily feel that I was passionate enough about writing to be a you know twenty four seven writer. Um, and to be honest, until I saw this job internship advertised with Kick It Out, I didn't really know that the field of media and comms existed. You don't really tell, they don't really tell you about that growing up. I do think it's, it's exploded in the last 10 years, you know, media, people having social media officers and media officers and this and that. But a lot of the work is quite behind the scenes as well. You know, you're not the person necessarily who's on camera you're not the person who's got your name attached to a piece but you might have written you might have written the article for someone you know in your organization or you might have written it with them or you know you might be planning a campaign or writing a statement that's in the name of the organ you know so I didn't know it existed and then the minute I saw it I was like god that that looks perfect that looks perfect for me 
So I applied for the internship, but still not, I was not really expecting to get it considering, you know, kick it out quite high profile. Uh, but, you know, really fortunately I managed to get the role. Uh, and then from there, yeah, I was, I was there for four years and just kind of rising up the ranks as it were. I was intern and then assistant and then executive and then officer and, um, yeah. And then, so then moved, moved on, uh, about a year ago, lots of really interesting times at kick out and it was, it was never a dull moment and I learned a lot and I developed a lot and, um, you know, I think after four years, it felt, you know, the time was right to, to, to move on because that was probably my first full time kind of nine to five, nine to five job. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an organization that's doing incredibly important work and I, you know, I, I really massively, you know, enjoyed and, and I'm proud of my kind of involvement in that. You said uh, that they're punching well above their weight. I think that's an understatement. I think there's been a couple of times <laughs> where the way that they've been described in mainstream media, it's like they're the same size as the FA. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, there's the Football Association <laughs> and then there's Kick It Out. And they're kind of like this, this anti-discriminatory wing of the body that run football and they yeah. can sort all of this. Yeah. And then you yeah. hear like Troy in an interview and it's like, oh no, it's, it's, like, it's me and a few people in the office. Don't get me wrong, we're doing yeah. great work, but like we're stretched. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, and that's the thing. It's yeah, it's the perception, isn't it? It's the. I mean, the perfect example. When I joined, I was in my head. I was thinking like probably about fifty people or something that worked for Kick Out. You know, I assumed there was about fifty people. When I joined in two thousand sixteen, beginning two thousand sixteen, there was twelve people working permanent staff working for Kick Out. Of course, the nature of the way Kick Out works is they have networks and communities and clubs and all kinds of people they they work with but in terms of the day-to-day -day, you know it's 12 star as a national organization doing so much delivery you know trying to cover grassroots football support people at grassroots trying to work with clubs to educate clubs and support players there uh working with um, you know you know you know all about the the raise your game series trying to bring you know young people who want to work in football uh, from you know from sort of underrepresented backgrounds trying to get them a foot in the door so doing all these you know huge amounts of things and, and plenty more that i'm sure i haven't even touched on and you know up until i think the the budget now might be a little bit over a million for a year um you know i think and now there's 20 staff but when i joined it was definitely i think it was like the the this the budget for the annual budget for kick out was something like seven eight hundred grand a, a year and you think that's like you know one and a half weeks of like Meza Ozil's wages or whatever he was like you know what I mean or like a few weeks of Meza Ozil's wages um and that's nothing against him but you know that's the, it's so the capacity that kick it out have in terms of funding and and that's you know it's tough because a part of my job when I was kick out was to try and get that you know, get the message across of everything we do, but also make it clear what what Kick It Out were. So, you know, kick which and um, what Kick It Out still is, which is a charity full of people who care passionately about tackling discrimination, who have taken it upon themselves to be part of this organization to do good and are doing really whatever they can on limited resources. That's not to say kick it out or beyond criticism and that people shouldn't, you know, that people should just shut their mouths. Of course not. You know, no one's beyond criticism and, and kick out an important body, have an important role. So if people think they should be doing these differently, that's absolutely people's right. 
but I think there's a there is a misconception. So you know, the FA has hundreds of star. If you look at the money that comes in and out of the Premier League, all this kind of stuff and the staff kick it out are not on that level in terms of the resources. They're just not. So yeah, so I think that yeah, sometimes that is part of the issue is that people don't always fully recognise the job that kick out are doing with the money that they have. You know, mm. I think it's probably a, a conversation that happens across the charity sector, to be honest. Like I've, my friend mm. Liz, she works at Stonewall and yeah, Stonewall's like, you know, it's a bigger charity than 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 kick it out. But still, like you say, yeah, like yeah. it's it's a relatively small number of people with a relatively small budget, given the amount of stuff that they're being expected to do. Like people totally. turn to these turn to these charities and say, Right, fix this, you do this. Mm-hmm. Go, mm-hmm. Like, come mm-hmm. on, sort it. And I think there's something in the nature of football that's weird in that, because one example I always came back to is, you know, so some of the questions, you know, I when I was in the media team, obviously I was having to answer some of the media questions. And sometimes, particularly when there was a big incident, you'd get broadcasters all of a sudden saying, oh, racism in football, that's a story now. So they'd come... You know, they come to us and, you know, these weren't, you know, a lot of the football journalists, particularly in the last couple of years, had more of an understanding of what the issues were because it's been in the news. A lot of the broadcasters had no real idea um, what's going on, but it's a story. So they come, you know, they, they would come to kick it out. And then you get questions like, so we just want to talk about, you know, why is racism still a problem? Or ask questions like, you know, do you think it's it shows, do you think kick it out? are failing because racism is still a problem and it's just such backwards logic because in the same way you wouldn't go to cancer research you know nhs the nhs we actually in the uk have some of the worst statistics in terms of cancer survival i think we did at one point i don't know about anymore but you wouldn't then go to cancer research and say are you failing because cancer is still a problem you know it's not directly comparable but it's it's a similar kind of thing it's like racism exists in society um, you know, that doesn't mean football can't do something about it in, in the game. All forms of discrimination exist in society and football should be doing something about it. But to, to go to, a, you know, a charity that's, uh, again, it's just no one, no one asked Kick It Out to exist. It was, you know, Lord Oosley 25, 26, 27 years ago now, just was like, right, well, we, I'm going to do something about it. You know, and they wrote to, with a couple, one or two other staff, wrote to the 92 clubs, got a response from about two built out from there slowly slowly you know over 25 years getting bits of support bits of funding you know it's not it's only really it's not even been uh you know i think the pfa were uh, were get were, were involved in early on in funding but it's only it's not been that long it's uh since all four have, all you know the pfa um the fa the premier league the efl have given uh kick out money it's maybe been i don't know 10 15 years or something that's been locked in or not even so it, it, it's 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 in many ways a relatively new organisation in terms of everything they're doing, um, even though they've been around for twenty five years. But it's in terms of the resources, their ability to start, you know, really punching has has come in 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 the more you know in the more recent ten kind of ten year period. So anyway, I mean, my point is is just I think that you know there needs to be much more of an understanding and you know it's kick out's job to do that too but it's it's football's job you know i think 
clubs and 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 the, the FA and and you know and the Premier League and stuff. I mean, you know, I think that they all really should be looking at how that they can support kick it out more, but also how they can be doing more of this work for themselves. Um, you said that like now and again there's like a high profile incident and it becomes the thing that that we talk about mm-hmm. and no question like the the fact that social media is being used more and more it becomes the place that you look to go to when something happens it's like okay this thing's happened yeah. what has so-and-so said what has my yeah, team yeah. said about this I wondered if you had any insight as to like how these clubs go about writing their statements Clubs obviously have a duty to respond and, you know, the FA, the Premier League all have duty to respond. I, I can't necessarily give the, you know, I've not worked for a club directly myself and I'm not, I, I can't sort of divulge the the intricate details of specific clubs, how they've responded to things. But I mean, generally an incident will come in and I mean, sometimes, especially in the last few years, because a lot of time incidents will get almost just posted straight to social media. Someone will be like, this has happened or a video of fan seeing something racist or, or whatever it might be. And then it will go viral. And then in a way the, the club will you know, be scrambling to catch up and respond to that. Um, then there are other times when, you know, of course, sometimes um, kick it out, have had something reported to them first and, you know, and then, you know, as part of kick outs duty, they re- will report that depending on where the incident happened, we'll report that to the FA and then also the club involved so the club can investigate. Um, and then obviously by then, a journalist may have picked it up and what have you. So, ge- I mean, generally what the, the club will do, I think, especially in the first instance, what they tend to do is put out some kind of placeholder statement that um, is a bit like we're aware, we're looking into it to give themselves a bit of time, which is sometimes, you know, is understandable because you can't always come out swinging either way if, you know, it's genuinely unclear what's happened however there are times when it's open and shut we everyone knows what's happened in Paris when Chelsea fans pushed the black man off the off the train and wouldn't let him on and you know um and it was awful and then I think in that instance I think in that instance Chelsea did I this before I even worked to kick out did put out a statement quite quickly condemning it and so you know there are lots of instances where clubs where something's so obvious that they, they have to you know, they can't get away with kind of putting something wishy-washy out there. Um, there are, however, I do think a lot of instances uh, with clubs, and this is, you know, there's really no, oh, this club's better, oh, this club's worse. Of course, there are a few, but, you know, this really happens across the across the country. You know, there are times when they, they just, they don't want to draw any attention to it. Clubs just don't, they don't want, they don't want the, you know, they just want to be a football club and play football and win 2-1 or win 1-0 and then go. But, you know, they don't want, they don't want the, the oh, the, you know, especially because there's so many, you know, they're getting better and they've had to in the last few years. You know, whether it's the media people or it's the, the coaching staff or the, play, you know, so ill-equipped to discuss racism as an issue. So unsure as to how, what do I say, that they'd rather just bury it. And, you know, there is a degree of factionalism in football as well in that, sadly, you'll get sometimes an inc- racist incident, homophobic, whatever might happen at a club uh, from one set of fans. And then all of a sudden, everyone online is like, oh, yeah, classic them, they're the worst. Um, and, of course, there are clubs who historically have got, who have had, you know, much more deeper ingrained issues. But I'm telling you now, from my experience working at Kikau, there is not a single club, without fail, there is not a single club in this country 
from like you know steps so you know any club with fans basically that doesn't have an issue of discrimination racism homophobia homophobia sex and whatever it might be there might be some clubs with some things that are a bit worse than others or you know maybe they've got their worse with islamophobia maybe that club's worth it with worse with anti-semitism but every club so no one should ever feel kind of pat, pat themselves on the back but unfortunately what happens is that you get um you know people trying to say oh look they're worse or they're worse. and then i think the the the, the clubs themselves get become aware of that and they want to kind of they want to hide away a bit sometimes and some it's, this is some of them and not all of them and not every time and they're all getting better but unfortunately you know sometimes you, you know when something's so clear you just want to see a strong robust you know out the blocks quickly this is not okay but too often there's defensiveness and uh, oh well you know we're not the worst ones we do so much in the community and stuff like that and it's like great if you do you have a good community trust doesn't make it any better that you've got people racially abusing uh, other people in, in, in the stand at your you know at your club yeah yeah of course you say they've had to get better and and they have um i wanted to ask you about whether you've ever seen anything like backlash to what we saw with the super league when Rupert was on, I asked him, is this the worst like received idea that we've ever had like on social media in football? I wondered if you you agree that like that was the worst that we've ever seen it in terms of clubs doing something and the response to them saying what they were gonna do. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it had echoes for me, and it feels like another world now. But do you remember the 39th game? I mean, in a way, the 39th game walked so the Super League could, you know, run and trip over. But um, <laughs> the the 39th game, you know, it was a similar thing. I remember that being so poorly received everywhere. Um, but yeah, there's nothing. There's I've never seen anything like it. You know, I mean, I was I was I was I was disgusted disgusted with my club as a Chelsea fan. I was there outside the stadium before the Brighton game, and we were protesting, and then obviously got the great news that we'd um, we'd pulled out. But, um, but yeah, I'm just horrendous. And I mean, I think I should clear something up as well, because when I said before that they're getting better at, you know, media stuff, I think I think they're getting better at the, the media response around issues of discrimination. I, you know, something like that, clearly, you know, the, the kind of the greed that, that, that emanates from a lot of top football clubs it seems in many ways to be getting worse. And, and, and yeah, just from a PR perspective, just absolutely disastrous, you know, because... If you, at the end of the day, if you end up in any situation, end up creating a situation where UEFA are the good guys and Seferin coming out as like this, you know, champion of the people and fans are supporters, not customers. And it's like, oh, come on, mate. You know what I mean? UEFA, like we got Chelsea when we won the Europa League back in 2013 uh, it was in Amsterdam. I think we got like four thousand seats. You know, the to Munich, two thousand twelve, like sixteen, you know, sixteen thousand each, and like fifty thousand for the sponsors, whatever it is. So don't don't give me that rubbish. And in in many ways, it's like it's actually not hard to envisage how they could have done it in a way that might have seen them get what they wanted, which is a Super League. If they had let those proposals go through, you know, have you seen the the Champions League proposals for twenty twenty four? If they let those proposals go through and then whipped up a media storm against it, like this is going to be rubbish, you're making our players play too much, 
um, you know, UEFA only cares about money, blah, 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 and, and make you create UEFA, make UEFA be the bad guy, then all of a sudden, you know, they maybe it doesn't mean they would have been able to pull what they did, you know, two weeks later, but they might have, you know, cracks might have started to show and there might have been, you know, and then by the next year, that, you know, not that I want them to do that, but just if I was advising them from a comms perspective, what was astonishing for me and what it keeps coming down to is they literally thought that they could put out a press release at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night and being like, by the way, football's changed forever. <laughs> that, that was literally it. It was like 11 o'clock. No, no, nothing else. We'd had the leak at two o'clock or whenever it was. And then, and but people still weren't really sure, is this going to be a proposal? Is this something they wanted? And it was literally just like, when the statement came out, 11 o'clock, by the way, you know, you, all you get the remaining games this season don't matter now. Football's changed forever. Tough crap. And it's like, well, well, no. <laughs> no, it hasn't. No, you're not doing that. We're not, you know, and as fans. But just there were so many, yeah, there were so many ways that they could have done that from a common perspective that might have, at least broken, you know, at least broken the door open for them a bit to then at a future date. But instead, what's happened is it's gone much further the other way. They played their hand. They played their strongest card. I think is Miguel Delaney uh, from the Independent said so they played their strongest card. It's failed, and now you know that it, it's off the table now because the fans have said, "Well, if you do this, we'll," you know, and, and now they're losing their. They're not going to have as much power in, you know, their their sort of. In the Premier League, you know, all the, those six executives having to resign from the board, uh, from the from the Premier League kind of meeting group, or whatever they call it, and the you know the same with UEFA, those fines coming in, and you know, I mean, there's still change that needs to happen in football, and there's we still got to be very careful that you know they don't just try and do it again in six months. But I think the you know it, it's it's disastrous for for them. I think. Yeah, no, I was I was literally going to ask you, do you think the Super League could have happened with better comms and messaging? And as terrifying as it is to think, you're saying is like potentially, or at least we wouldn't be in the position we're in now, which is like yeah. no chance. Exactly. I and I think and I don't think it, I don't think in, in, in the format that it had, you know, I don't I think where you don't have any relegation or anything like that, I just I don't think no matter what comms it did, I think it's fundamentally against the the ethos of, of football and the way, you know, the way you play it. However, you know, they could have, they could have tried. I mean, if you look at the way that the new Champions League is going to run, there is an element of trying to stop clubs, stop the top clubs missing out on Champions League. You know, they've got this new little category where if you've been in the Champions League, like, you know, if you've got enough points and then you don't qualify for it one year, you'll still get in. Um, so there are, but it, so you, Super League could have, could have created a situation where they make UEFA out seem like they're using, you know, they're going to injure all the players by working them so hard. They're not getting any more money, you know, it's all blah, blah, blah. And then create this situation where fans hated UEFA. Look at City fans. They hate UEFA. You know, so many fans despise UEFA. And then you announce in a year's time or whatever, two years time, or, you know, and you do actually some consultation with hello, us, the fans, what kind of what kind of tournament you like and i think they they could have been something that they could have done that that might and again to be honest i don't want them to do that anyway i'm glad that they were stupid i'm glad that they didn't they they were poor from a comms perspective because what i want to see is champions league 
maybe in a, a correctly reformed way or whatever. But that's, you know, that's the football that we enjoy. That's the football that I want to keep seeing. You wrote a piece for When Saturday Comes about the child sex abuse scandal in football. And I wonder, and I'll link it when I post this, and I wonder if you could um, maybe share a little bit about like how you came about wanting to to write that and maybe the way the way that you've experienced it being received. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. In terms of how I came about wanting to write it, I mean, on, honestly, I just, because um, I've written for When Saturday Comes magazine before, and the editor got in touch with me to see if I was interested because I had tweeted a little bit about it on social media, but mainly just to boost the, um, so, I mean, in case anyone's unaware, you know, a few weeks ago, um, the, the there was a report that came out called the Sheldon Report that looked into historical um child sex abuse in football um it'd been a long time coming you know a, a few years uh, that, that that people were like had been waiting on this report um and the offside trust are a uh, charity set up by steve walters uh, and other survivors of child sex abuse um in football to to support other survivors and to you know campaign for change and campaign for justice um, and they put out a thread basically almost straight away um, after the Shell report um, being, well, I say almost straight away, after they'd uh, absorbed it and had a look at it, being highly critical of, of what was in there, basically uh, arguing that a lot of the, um, you know, the, the measures could have been done a long time ago. They also highlight concerns around the kind of the general framing and discussion around the issue as as something that's historical, um, you know, as something that that is no longer happening, and it you know football is not in the place it was twenty years ago with it, but the, the, you know it's a fact that there are still um, incidents happening across this country. Um, you know, we have not eradicated child abuse, so it's certainly going to happen in football. Um, so I think that there was a real, um, you know, that, that from the survivors themselves, there just seemed to be this aspect of it feeling quite, um, uh, not necessarily going to go as far as saying a whitewash, but it felt, it felt, you know, for them like very, you know, too little, too late. And, and there seemed to be a lot of concern that this was now just kind of, this might just be the end of it. And I think what I wanted to highlight with my, um, uh, with my piece, I think was particularly, you know, because there was a fantastic three-part documentary on the BBC, which I encourage everyone to watch last month, which, you know, and it's really, it's, it, you hear from all the, you know, the immensely brave survivors, you know, people like uh, Ian, uh, Ian Ackley, people like Andy Woodward, people like Paul Stewart, people like Steve Walters, Derek Bell, you know, the, the list uh, sadly goes on and on, but all these brave fantastic people really you know sharing their experience which must be so difficult in itself but also what really came through and this is the point I wanted to get across in the article was that they seem absolutely determined uh, people uh, you know the survivors and you know members of the offside trust to ensure that this doesn't happen again um, that you know to they don't want to be sitting here in 30 years hearing apologies for the next generation of kids who might uh, suffer this they they just seem absolutely, you know, relentless in their pursuit of, of 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 not only supporting survivors but also in ensuring that this doesn't happen. And they seem, you know, like you know, there's many of them that honestly seem like they're now dedicated their lives to to this cause, which was just 
just amazing really in that that you could go through that and then want to you know want to kind of dedicate yourself to helping others when you've almost been let down by by everyone around you um or certainly by you know by football um but the point yeah so the point being is that i just think that the fa really you know their apology was 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 fine you know their apology was was detailed it was clear they didn't you know they didn't hide away from the fact that there there were failings on their end but what they really need to do now is show that that same determination that these um survivors have been showing to you know they need to apply that determination to not just child sex abuse um which is obviously you know incredibly important but they need to apply it to any possible scandals that are happening in football at the moment because there could be all kinds of them that are happening in our game that i mean some of which we kind of have an insight to you know discrimination in the game and but how many how many kids are suffering lifelong trauma because of abuse they might be getting you know uh, uh, obviously child sex abuse but also discriminatory abuse that they might be getting um in the in the it, it, as a child how many you know you look at the you know the sort of mental health and depression issues with you know former youth players who've been cast aside from football um you know one example i use as well is this kind of the slightly unspoken thing which you you may um know some about josh uh, having having worked as as a coach but you know male coaches with female footballers and exploitative relationships there and i'm not you know going to st- all the, the the gambling industry and 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 the gambling addiction and how football's role in that and all these things that i'm not going to start pointing fingers and 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 saying oh this person's doing that or you know but there are scandals unfolding on in front of us or potentially unfolding in front of us that the fa should not be waiting 30 years for a view to look back and say no we got it wrong i'm sorry you know so they really there needs to be a, a, a sort of a step up you know there's a new chairman who will be coming into the fa at some point and it's about time the fa you know i think for a long time the fa got stuff wrong then there's this been a different era where the fa don't necessarily they get stuff wrong but they're good at apologizing for it so in that first era they were got stuff wrong and wouldn't apologize now there's an era of you know the fa will get stuff wrong but apologize and they'll get some stuff right we need to get to an era where they're preemptively getting it you know getting it right and preventing things from happening before they then have to kind of tell between their legs apologize and there's my fa rant my customary fa rant no that's that's a really good note to end on george i think uh, i'd echo everything you said and like i say i'll post the uh, i'll post the piece when i when i put this up because i think it's well worth a read all right fantastic mate i've really got a shoot but yeah, it's yeah, been great go. to chat to you and i'll speak to you soon yeah okay take care george Thank nice you. one mate cheers no problem bye, bye.